Forgiveness at its core is about repairing relationships. moments in the church in the life of the church when the prophetic meaning God speaking through his people kind of comes to the surface and it leads and guides moments of the church and today we're kind of digging into a moment that I believe can't be ignored now over the last I don't know what is it two weeks into this new year I have had more conversations with desperate people to see a move of God in this community than I've had in the entirety of 2023. And that's not a knock on 2023. But that is exciting. Because the Holy Spirit is stirring something in us. And so today I want to bring you a word and as we were kind of going into this year, we were kind of like looking, what are we going to be talking about? What's the series? You know, we're pastors. We're always thinking in terms of series, right? Connected events that take us on a journey into learning truth together. But this year, as we kind of stepped into the new year, we didn't have anything solid. And it's kind of like, it, it creates a little bit of angst. I'm not going to lie. And so I thought... You know what, these are just going to be one-off sermons. They're going to be standalone sermons that we'll kind of take as the Spirit is kind of leading and kind of pointing and maybe pushing into some things. We're going to be faithful to take that journey with Him. But this week, as I was sitting down and I'm writing for today, I realized we're in a series. And if I had to give this series a title, it would be this. Piercing the Veil. Piercing the Veil. Last week we had a word come to us prophetically. And it spoke to a sense of a veil over our congregation and our community of faith. It's a very real word. It's a very real realization that I think we've all been feeling. I know I have. And so I believe the Spirit of God is leading us on a journey in this season to pierce the veil. Now there are moments and there are things. We know that Jesus, when he died on that cross, what happened in the temple? Do you remember? Darkness fell over the earth and what happened? He tore the veil. Right? What did that veil represent? That sacred place of the innermost part of the temple, the presence of God, that only one high priest per year could actually go into after all these cleansing ceremonies and all these things. And God the Father tore that veil and gave us access through Jesus Christ, his son, to the very presence of God. But sometimes, in the journey of faith and in life, we self-impose at times a veil. It's not God. God wants to meet with his people. But at times we self-impose a veil that we got to pierce through, that we got to take steps to over, 
come. And I believe the Lord is leading us in this journey. So piercing the veil. Last week we felt compelled to talk about joy. Joy is the road out of the valleys of lament. Joy is strength. Joy gives us a sense of hope and perseverance. Today and this week, I really feel that we need to talk about maybe the most fundamental, essential part of this faith. Maybe the hardest part of walking out the Christian faith. And that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness today. And I believe if we hear the Spirit, He may change everything for you. Forgiveness may be one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith. You know, over the years, I have had probably more clarifying conversations with people about the concept of forgiveness than anything else within the Christian faith. Forgiveness, in some ways, can be very misunderstood. What is forgiveness? What does it look like? How do we walk this out? What is the biblical worldview? And, and today, I hope I, to give you a sense of clarity around forgiveness, why it's essential, and I mean that quite literally, why it's essential, but also why it's a litmus test for how well we understand the forgiveness we walk in. We're going to dig into this today. The dynamics of forgiveness, they involve a debtor and the one who owes the debt. This is like fundamentally pull it all the way. The debtor and the one who own, owes the debt. And, and perhaps this is the easiest to kind of talk about and illustrate in kind of financial language. Maybe that's why Jesus uses actual financial language to speak to the concept of forgiveness. And we're going to dig in to this teaching by Jesus in Matthew 18, 21. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, Matthew 18, verses 21 and following. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 or your, your uh, translation may say 70 times 7 times. Now, to really understand what's going on here, we need to understand this moment in the first century as Peter brings this to Jesus as a question. Because up until this time, much of the rabbinical teaching around forgiveness went like this. This is a very popular teaching in the first century. You should be required to forgive an individual up to three times. And then on the fourth, you withhold forgiveness. Now, now where did they get 
They actually got this from the book of Amos. In the book of Amos, uh, you see over and over, they kind of do these things. The first time we see it is in Amos chapter 1, verse 3. And, and the prophet Amos kind of speaks on behalf of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. And then he goes on to say the exact same thing. Uh, three sins, even four, to Tyr, to Gaza, to Edom. And so what the rabbinical teachers did, they took this moment in Amos, and they said, okay, you know what? Let's put a number on this. Because God will forgive up to four times, we can't be as gracious as God, because he is the most gracious, right? So we'll do three. And so the popular teaching of the day was we'll forgive three times, and then on the fourth offense, we withhold forgiveness. So Peter, when he comes to Jesus, and Peter's just like, he's like my favorite person. Because he just always had these moments where he thought he was just doing so good. So when he comes to Jesus, how many times shall we forgive? Up to seven times? Peter thinks he's doing so good. Like that's times two plus one of the popular teaching of forgiveness. Like Peter's feeling really good about himself. Like this, look how gracious I am. And then Jesus responds, no, 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 Peter. Seventy times seven times. Now, we may not understand this. What Jesus is saying here, he's using kind of figurative language with the number seven, and he's basically saying infinity. There is no end to your extension of forgiveness. Okay. Okay, so how do we, how do, we do this? How do we do this? I, I can see kind of the wheels turning. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Hold on. What, what if they, what if they hurt me again? What if they don't, what if they, what if they're toxic people? What about boundaries? What about healthy relate? What about, right? We start going right away. Like, how does this actually play out in real life? How do we actually do this? Well, Jesus continues, and he tells a story, and he illustrates forgiveness in this way. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, your translation may say 10,000 talents. Okay, this is like a form of, of uh, a currency, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Remember, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Your your translation may may say a hundred denarius or denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Earlier in Matthew, we have Jesus recorded as saying in Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And this is one that we don't normally underline. We don't highlight and put this on a pillow, this next part. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's a hard saying. That's a hard saying. Does this really mean what it sounds like? Like, it would have been so nice to go in and do a little word study. You know, as I was studying for this, I was like, maybe there's something in the Greek or Hebrew. Maybe there's a little nuance here that we don't understand. It doesn't actually mean what it says literally here on the page. Because this seems so hard. But friends, this is what it means. This is heavy. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. There's really no middle ground here. So so how, how do we come to this conclusion? Well, Jesus uses very specific amounts when he talks about what is owed here in the story he tells. He uses the amount of 10,000 bags of gold, or your, your, it may say 10,000 talents. Now, to understand the scope of this debt, we need to understand what a talent is. One talent, one, one talent in the first century would have been, for the average person, 15 years worth of work. Okay, so... 
10,000 talents, 150,000 years worth of work to pay off that debt. So Jesus is making a point with these amounts. This is an impossible debt that has been forgiven. 100 denarii, which the servant goes after from his peer, was worth one day's worth of work. Jesus is very purposefully making a contrast here. When we withhold forgiveness, and I know this world is so messed up and so broken, and some debts feel like so much more, but Jesus is making a point here. No matter what you are owed in this world by the people around you, it is nothing in comparison to the debt you've been forgiven. That's just categorically correct. And so Jesus is making a point, and he's calling us to consider the debts that we are owed and whether or not we are prepared to forgive. When we withhold forgiveness to another, we cheapen and we belittle the forgiveness that we've received from God. There's no way around this. This is the biblical worldview. There's no way to escape this. So then we have to ask the question, okay, what does forgiveness look like then? Because obviously we've determined this is essential. Not just essential in living a good Christian life. This is essential to walking in the forgiveness from the Father. Like there's no way around this. There's no escaping it. So how do we forgive? What does this look like? How do we walk this out? If you're taking notes, write this down. Forgiveness at its core is about repairing relationship. Forgiveness, at its very core, is about repairing relationship. And there are steps to forgiveness. So, so to understand these steps of forgiveness, we need to understand God's forgiveness towards us first. I want you to consider the words of Jesus on the cross. Before he says, it is finished. He has a moment where he expels energy. He lifts himself up on the nails in his hands and his feet to get enough air in his body as he's being asphyxiated on that cross to utter these words as they're tearing his garment and casting dye for it, as they're mocking him, as the crowd is pointing and laughing at his nakedness and his shame. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not 
what they do. In the midst of his murder, he is already positioning his heart to forgive. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Take note of this. We're going to return to this in a moment. Then he dies. He's taken down off of that cross. He's put into a tomb. And on the third day, he rises again, overcoming death and the grave, bringing full circle the work of the Messiah, the one who comes to save, to offer forgiveness to the world. And why does, this, why does this matter? Why does it matter that he dies? Because what is the penalty of sin? It's death. It's a death penalty. And, and not just physical death. It's an eternal death. Separated from that relationship with our creator. And so Jesus had to die in order to pay the penalty of our sin. And then he's raised again and he offers forgiveness to the world because of what he did. He offers to forgive that $10,000 debt, that impossible, that impossible lifetime debt that we just can't pay. And if we do pay it, it means paying the ultimate price for eternity, separated from relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. Does this mean that everyone now has restored relationship with the Creator? I, I, I see a lot of... Does this mean... Jesus died. He died for the world. Right? He died for everyone. He died for all of humanity. Not just of his generation, but the generations that come and all the generations that were. Right? We believe that. So are we all in restored relationship with Jesus? Why? What is required of us? Repentance. There's an aspect of forgiveness that involves another party. It's not just about the one who holds the debt. It's also about the debtor. The one who is wrong. The one who owes. The one who is harmed. 1 John 1, 9-10 says... If we confess our sins, if, key word here, if we confess our sins, if we own up to our mistakes, if we own up to our brokenness before a holy and righteous God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But the next 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make a liar out of him, and his word is not in us. Repentance is the key to our salvation. Biblical forgiveness requires a party that is repentant. Forgiveness is an interaction between two parties. Now, this is what biblical forgiveness is. Sometimes we think in terms of, oh, this is just me. I just need to forgive. We, we've kind of maybe misconstrued our understanding of forgiveness. Because maybe because it's a little bit easier, because it doesn't mean interaction with the one who's wronged us. So we have kind of in the church at times, we've kind of made forgiveness a one-person solution. As long as I, before God, feel really good about forgiving somebody, I can completely stay away from that circumstance, completely stay away from that person, and it's all good. But biblical forgiveness, it's not a one-man show. It involves two parties. It involves two people. Because forgiveness, at its very core, is about restored relationship. Whether it's between us and God, or whether it's between us and the one who has wronged us. Or the one that we've wronged. This is what biblical forgiveness looks like. But repentance, the acknowledgement of wrongdoing, is the key to walking out biblical forgiveness. Now let's talk about repentance for a moment. Like we need to, if we're going to understand forgiveness, we need to understand what is repentance then? The biblical worldview of repentance is a person who comes to another that they've wronged and they just have to say, I'm very, very, very sorry. And maybe a little bit of crying, right? I'm being a little bit facetious. Is that what biblical repentance is? Heavy sobs? It might be, but it might not be. I would say the most primary part of biblical repentance is changing your behavior and your attitudes before that individual. You can say you're sorry all day long, but if you don't change, you are not repentant. Sorries are easy. Change is hard. Biblical repentance demands that we change, that we walk away from the behaviors that have brought hurt and division in that relationship, and we go the other way, into something new. That is repentance. So the repentance is the acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Confess your sins. Yes, we confess our sins and our wrongdoing. But then it's also this idea of action, changing our actions and our attitudes for the benefit of relationship. This is what it is to repent. Remember, forgiveness at its core is about repairing relationship. 
So the act of forgiveness requires both parties to walk in their respective parts. This is where it gets complicated, right? This is where it gets a little bit complicated. Because you have the repentant and you have the forgiver. Now the big question is, what if the person who has wronged me never repents? Right? I mean, that's the question. Because that's out of your control. Here's the first thing I would ask you. Because so often this is the case. So often. 95% of offense works out like this. Have you confided in the person who has hurt you the fact that they have hurt you? I can't even tell you how many times people will walk around carrying offense because somebody said something or did something or looked a certain way or had a certain kind of look on their face when you said something and you carry around this offense and that person doesn't have a clue that you're offended. They don't have a clue. And nine times out of ten, here's what happens. You finally bring it to their attention. Because this has been bugging you like crazy. And as soon as you bring it to their attention, they go, they're mortified. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. I'd say like 95% of conflict in our lives. Gone. Just like that. So that's my question. Does the person that has offended you, where you're carrying offense, do they even know they did anything? But now we have to move into the harder places. What about that 5%? Where they've offended you. And when I talk about offense, I'm not talking about stupid stuff. Like, Sometimes you just got to just get over some stuff. Like, can we just agree with that? There's just some stuff that's stupid. Just get over it. Suck it up. Okay? When I talk about offense, I'm talking about those who have introduced hurt and pain and woundedness into your relationship that is called separation. Something is, needs to be repaired. So what do we do if that person is not repentant? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Because I have lost my place. Because I have gone way off my notes. And now I've got to figure out where in the world I was going. Because I don't want to miss anything. Because, man, I, I, have, like, I have agonized over this. Because I don't want to get anything wrong. Because this is too important. It's just too important. Forgiveness at its core. It's about repairing relationships. I want you to kind of think back to Jesus on the cross. I remember to kind of take note of that. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
So what do we do when we have a circumstance where someone has hurt us and brought pain to our lives and they're not repentant? What is our role as a believer in Jesus in that circumstance? I want you to note the timing of Jesus' statement. Right? He's on a cross. He is literally in the midst of being murdered. And he positions his heart for forgiveness. I want you to consider the role of the believer when you've been wronged. If I were going to go to the bank today, and I were to put in a bank note, I want to withdraw all of my money. And that bank, oh, I wish this was true. This would be so cool. That bank didn't have enough cash on hand to... <laughs> that is not my reality, friends. But bear with me. And that bank did not have the funds to fill that order, that money order. That would be a little upsetting, wouldn't it? I believe forgiveness kind of works like this. I believe as a believer, we can have one or two things, one of two things in the, in the vault of our heart when it comes to people. We can either have a vault that is stored up with bitterness, or we can have a vault that is stored up with the potential for forgiveness and grace and mercy. But we can't have both. So when we look at the scriptures, we see these concepts play out in the New Testament teachings of Jesus through the apostles. There are two words. Again, these are two words we wouldn't sew onto a pillow. Forbearance, long-suffering. If forgiveness was just a clean clinical thing that just happened every single time and it wasn't messy and we didn't have to store up grace and mercy in our hearts, we would have no need for these two words in the New Testament teachings of Jesus. Forbearance and long-suffering. We've talked about this in the past. Long-suffering literally means suffering long. Paul talks about this in the context of relationship with the church. With one another. In community. In family. Long-suffering. And these sometimes are the realities of the burden that we bear as believers. It's not always going to work out that someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness. The question you have to ask yourself is if they did, what do you have in your heart to give them?
If they came to you today, what do you have in your heart to give them? Can you fulfill that money order? And if the answer is no, you need to turn to Jesus and ask him for grace and thank him once again for his grace and mercy towards you. And to put it in proper eternal perspective. I'm not talking temporal. I'm talking eternal perspective. Can you fulfill that order? Our role in relationship is to be full of grace and truth. Enough that when someone comes to us with repentance in their heart, not, not just like snot and tears and I'm sorry, repentance in their heart, that we are able to fulfill that next step of preparing relationship to forgiveness. Forgiveness is at its core. It's about repairing relationship. So today, I have structured my sermon kind of like a website. Uh, what, what, uh, what page do you go on a website when you have a question? You have a question about the company, you have a question about what they are kind of talking about, what, what page do you go to? Oh, I heard it over here. FAQ, F-A-Q, Frequently Asked Questions, right? A company will do their very, very best to anticipate your questions, and they will answer them on a page called Frequently Asked Questions. So today, I want to try to make this as practical as possible. Because faith that is just kind of ethereal, that is just kind of out there, is useless. Right? Theology that we can't apply to our lives is useless. And that's not the way God establishes our belief system. It's very practical. So I want to anticipate some questions today. First question is this. What if the person who wronged me is now deceased? Now, I have heard some of your stories. This actually comes out of a conversation I just had this week. A powerful story of someone who had to walk in finding forgiveness in their heart for, for someone who has already since deceased. They had to take that journey. So what do we do? If, if forgiveness is about, it, it involves two parties, it's about repairing relationship, how do we do this with someone who is no longer here with us? Like, what's the response? What's the Christian response here? And first of all, I want to say this is a tough circumstance. And I empathize with the journey ahead of you. Because it's maybe even harder Let me put it like this. I believe that we can 
in that circumstance, seek the grace and the strength of the Holy Spirit to walk in our part, not their part, but our part of forgiveness in that circumstance. I believe that there's a grace there. Though in most circumstances, forgiveness is about repairing relationship, we see that this is not. This is about repairing the wounds of your heart. And so I believe that God will stand in and walk that process with you. There is a possibility of walking in forgiveness even if that person is no longer here. The problem with not walking this out is you end up carrying that debt that they owe. The moment they're gone, you end up picking up that that they owe. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can walk you through a process, and it is, I'm saying, friends, this is not a one-time thing. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a commitment. It's a choice. It's not always a feeling. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can walk you out in a process of forgiving and finding healing where you can lay down individual's debt that is owed to you at the cross of Christ and be free of it. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it over and over again. It's possible. Number two, does forgiveness mean no consequences? Not Necessarily. This is not a yes or a no. This can be at times of both and. There are moments when we forgive others and we simply absorb the debt they owe us. That's what the king did in our parable that Jesus spoke to. An impossible debt. Guess who lost on that deal? Who lost on that deal? The king. The king absorbed that loss in order to forgive that servant. So there are moments and there are times when we absorb the debt that is owed us. This can be relational. This can be financial. This can be whatever. Put it into your context. However, there are moments when we must allow consequences for actions to be metered out. We can see justice fail. How many know that God is equally as just as he is merciful? Right? And there are moments community, in society, when we have to allow consequences for actions to be metered out for the safety of others, right? We have to allow these things to happen so that lessons can be learned 
actions have consequences. So if you are in a circumstance where you are struggling with, do I absorb this debt or do actions need to be doled out in consequences? Maybe bring someone trusted, someone wise, into your journey of figuring that out. But I would say, if it is around places of abuse, around places of laws being broken, you have to let proper things. The church has a history of allowing abuses while calling it grace and mercy. Sweeping big things under a rug. That's not the way of Jesus. Sometimes justice needs to work and happen. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean no consequences for your actions. Number three, does forgiving someone mean I have to trust them? Is forgiveness synonymous with trust? If I forgive you, do we have to go back to the relationship we had before the offense? No. Why? Because repentance is change. And change can only be determined a scope of time. Someone can say their story and their actions say the opposite. Forgiveness does not mean trust. When we look in Scripture, we see different people are given different abilities. Some are faithful in little things and they're given much over much. Like, there's these aspects of the Christian faith where everything is not just across the board, just fair. Not everybody is given the same responsibilities and the same things and the same... This is the same in relationships. Just because you forgive them does not mean you have to trust them. They can earn that trust back over time. Repentant hearts are determined by the change you see. And so forgiveness, you can forgive and release that debt while still maintaining healthy boundaries and healthy places to determine opportunity for that person to show you another way. Forgiveness does not automatically mean trust. Some of you have done a very good job of walking in repentance with a person. And now you feel hurt because that relationship has not gone back to the exact same way it was before. The onus is on you to get it there. Not on you. So you need to hear that. For some of you here, you're upset with someone because it did not, they forgave, but it did not go back to the way it was. The onus is on you to get it back there. Not on that is the of the repentant heart. So please hear that. And then finally, number four. What if I'm the one who wronged them? I've repented, 
and they won't forgive me. Again, I empathize with your situation. Because we can only control what we can control, right? We can only control what we can control. We can't control another person. And this is a tough place to be in. But I would ask you a follow-up question. Have you done everything in your power, not just to say you're sorry, but have you done everything in your power to change your actions and behaviors towards that individual? Are you proving a changed heart? Are you proving out over time a repentant heart? That would be the first question I would ask you. And if the answer is no, then you need to question your repentance. If you're looking for it just to go back to the way it was without putting in the work of change, you need to question your repentance. Whether or not you are sorry. Because sorry requires change. However, if you tick those boxes, I want, you to, I want to point you to a verse that is so freeing, especially in Christian communities. It's Paul in writing to the Romans in, in, in chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, with everyone. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can only do what you can do to live at peace with everyone around you. And if you've walked through the steps of repentance, then unforgiveness is not your burden to carry. It's not your burden to carry. It's the one who is called to forgive. My caution would be, just make sure that bitterness does not grow in your own heart. Just, just make sure bitterness does not grow in your own heart towards that person. You have to remain full of grace and mercy, love and life in your own heart. That is your responsibility. So walk in repentance, but forgiveness is not up to you. This whole time I've been, I've been talking about forgiveness in kind of the language of two people, right? Two parties. The debtor and the one who owes the debt. The one who is wronged. But that's actually not really a full picture of the biblical view. Because there's a second access to this. There's this, you and I. But then there is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it all. The presence of the Holy Spirit that reminds us of the debt we've been forgiven through Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price to pay that debt who suffered and died and rose again to offer us this great salvation we walk in. And it's 
it's moments like this when we need to be mindful of the presence of God. Because the only reason we can be mindful of the presence of God is because he made a way for us by forgiving our sin and our brokenness and restoring that relationship. He instigates that. And if we're going to pierce a veil that is sometimes self-imposed, this is going to be the place to do it. Right here with forgiveness. This may be the number one thing that stands in our way from experiencing and knowing the presence of God of you are here, you, you're holding, you're holding some heavy stuff. And I want to be the first to say, some debts feel impossible to forgive. I would go as far to say as they are impossible to forgive in and of ourselves. And that's why we need this third party. That's why we need Jesus and the Spirit to give us a grace and a strength we do not have in and of ourselves to fill our hearts with an impossible love, an impossible mercy, an impossible grace so that we can extend that forgiveness to the ones who have hurt us and wounded us. Some of you here, you've been carrying, you've been carrying. It's like, it's like an impossible weight that's just always there. Some days you get busy enough to kind of just get through the day. But then in the quiet of the night, you're reminded of this chain around your ankle that you carry and it's exhausting. And I believe today the Holy Spirit wants to free you of that burden. For some of you, he's going to give you the grace to go and look someone in the eye and say, I'm so, so sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. And I'm seeking God to give me the strength to make it right. 
And for others of you, I believe by the Spirit, he's going to give you grace and capacity to forgive. To lay that big burden, that weight at the foot of the cross, and to walk out of this place feeling like you have not felt like in forever. So here's what I ask of you. I'm going to ask you to take steps. This is no small thing, but it's essential. We just learned it's essential. Your forgiveness is predicated on your ability to forgive. So our worship team is going to lead us in an act of worship. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Whatever side of that coin you're on, the one that holds the debt or the one who owes the debt, if you're serious about seeking something of the Spirit today, I'm going to ask you to just simply step into this place of altar. And here's the deal, guys. Let's, let's, can we leave pretension at the door? Can we, like, not pretend like we got it all together? I want you to feel safe in this place, to step out and know when you step out, you're not being judged. You're being celebrated. Right? Amen? You're being celebrated because you're taking a step in knowing what the Spirit would have for you. You're taking a step of faith into what He's calling you to. So worship team, lead us. No one's going to come up in here and pray with you. This is between you and God. And I believe God's going to give you grace today. If you take that step today, give you a grace today to live this out in real life. And for some of you, it's going to change everything. I believe that. Let's stand together, friends.